Hi, my name is Eliane Goldstein, and you're listening to The Effect on Us. When I went downstairs to play with the kids with whom I'd played all my life, all of a sudden they're calling me a dirty little Jew and to walk in the sidewalk where I belonged. I had the courage to say, I have to get out. I was just so infused with the will to live that I said, I don't mind leaving my parents. Do you experience any pain from what they would do? Every single second of my life, and I will for the rest of my life. The Effect on Us podcast. Here's Eliane Goldstein. The Effect on Us is a podcast for people of all ages to learn about controversial subjects and the ties it has to people nowadays. In this season, the focus of the series is the Holocaust. You'll be able to hear some of the best survival stories I've ever heard from people that went through the Second World War and learn more about the effect the Holocaust had on people from Generation 1 to Generation 3. Did you know that the Nazis' approach to citizenship laws and the restriction on marriage between people of different races was inspired by race laws in the United States. This is the first of two episodes where I'm talking to Maxwell Smart, who tells me about how he built his own bunker. My name is Max Smart, but I call myself Maxwell because of the art. It sounds more prestigious. How old are you now? I am 92 years old. Uh, Where were you born? I was born in Buczecz, Poland which is part today of the Ukraine, the famous Ukraine. What was your childhood like before the war? It was normal, like yours. I was younger. I was only nine years old. I went to school. I wasn't uh, the best of the students, but I wasn't bad. I was a teacher's pet because I used to paint nice things as a child. And she liked me, so she singled me out in school. I had a happy, a happy childhood. What about your family? My family was a middle-class family. We, we had a home. My father had a store, a clothing store, men's clothing store. My grandfather was a manufacturer of clothing. I had a very big extended family, about 62 people in total. Butchers was a charming little city. I don't know if you know about it very much. It's in the Galicia, Ukraine. It is a historical little town. And uh, I had a, I think I, 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 I feel I had a very good childhood up to nine years old. Was being Jewish important to your family? Not really. We were Jews. My grandfather was quite religious. He is... Um, he had a beard. He wasn't ultra-religious, but he was religiously, very religiously. He didn't belong to the main synagogue. Like, uh, he had his own little synagogue with very re- more religious people. We belonged to uh, the main synagogue of, of Buchach, which was a very big synagogue built built in the 1600s or 1700s. And life, I, I didn't have a bar mitzvah because the, the bar mitzvah years of mine were cut by the occupation of Germany. Um, what was the anti-Semitic situation like? Then it was bad. Today it's probably worse. With the, with the, with the Ukrainians being 
being their, on their own and they having their own country because they were not very nice. They were collaborators with the Germans. They were the helpers to kill. They were part of the, of the killing of the Jews, very much involved. They were promised a country with Germany and they lived up to it. They probably never had a country so they were very anti-Semitic. Very, this area of, of Poland, which was the Galicia area, was very, very anti-Semitic. Did you ever receive any anti-Semitic attacks? Well, we had not, not at while it was occupied by Poland. The law is you can't kill, so they didn't kill. But when the, when the Germans came in, the law changed. You could kill a Jew and you're not guilty. So that's what happened. What was the beginning of the war like for you? What happened? What happened? Yeah. At what? At the beginning of the war, at the start of the war. At, and under the Germans yes. or the, or the Russians? Uh, the Germans. There was two occupations. The first occupation. Yeah. Who but, occupied first and what was it like? Yeah, the first occupation was done by the Russians. Yeah. It was not bad. It was not bad for me and for the children, but it was tough and bad for my parents. Not the, that my parents, not that my parents' store was taken away. They didn't take away and they didn't confiscate anything. They only, my father sold out the merchandise from the store. There was no more delivery. To, there was no re, more replacement of merchandise. He couldn't buy anymore. So my father had to give up the store. So when he sold the merchandise, he had to close the store. So the same thing happened to my grandfather. <clears throat> the factory couldn't get any more merchandise to manufacture. So he had to close up the factory too. But for me personally, it was good. For me personally, for the children, there was no anti-Semitism. It was forbidden. The schools, all the effort of the Russians was given to the children, most of them, to, to such a point that they have taken off the children of the street, the homeless children. They put them in homes. They dressed them up. They went to school with me. Some of them were excellent students, but they had never the opportunity to go to school under the Polish regime, under the Ukrainian, and under the Russians, they did. And life under the Russian occupation for me and for all the children that go to school was very good. The emphasis was strictly on the children. Before you said that there were two occupations, the Russian and the German, how are they different from each other? It is like night and day. When the Russians came in, there was music in the street and everybody was dancing. And everybody, the Russians came with harmonicas and they were drinking and dancing. When the Germans came in, it was hell. Before the Germans came in, the Ukrainian already occupied the city. They became the policemen, the rulers of the city. 
the mayors, the, the, the main government of the Ukraine, and they were the Ukrainians only. And they run the country with a, with a iron fist, especially, especially the Jews, which suffered the most, and then the Polish, the Polish population too. The Polish population also suffered under the Ukrainian occupation, or under the German, I call it the German-Ukrainian occupation. What were laws that were put towards uh, the Jewish people when the German-Ukrainian occupation happened? Well, what happened, what happened at that time? When you give power to somebody who never had it, and you tell them, because I remember my neighbor, next door neighbor, we had a house, next door neighbor was, and my mother went in and she said to him, if you're interested in buying some of the furniture we have or some of the things we have in the house, please come in, we will, we will sell you for, not for money, but for food. Her answer was very simple. What is Jewish belongs to the state and you have nothing to sell and it does not belong to you to sell. This is the power from the beginning that the Germans gave to the Ukrainians. How did this affect you? It affected me. I was hungry. We didn't, we, my father didn't work. My father didn't have a job. We had only what we had, we had to sell. And they didn't want to buy because I, they, 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 there were people who bought because I was selling too, to support the family. I was going out from the ghetto and selling things that we had. But the, the fact is, it was not enough food to live. Um, so you were nine, right? You were nine? When you went to the ghetto, you were nine years old? No, I was with the family. I was with my mother. My father was already killed. My father was killed the first two weeks of the German occupation. We were left, me and my father and my dog, my sister. We stayed in the house until they created the ghetto. They threw us out from the house and they sent us into the ghetto. And I moved into the ghetto. Ghetto was hell. Did you understand what was going on at the time? Not, not understand. I didn't understand it politically. I didn't understand it from a point of view. But really, what is happening or going to happen? I understood that this moment, this, this time of this time of occupation was no good. I remember my mother telling my father at one point before the German occupation, the Russians, we were very friendly with the Russians. And they came in to my house, one of the captains or, or I don't know, maybe it was a, something in the union on the, on the government or something. And he says to my father, if you want to, you could come by whenever they were retreating. If you want to, you could come with us to Russia. 
whenever to retreat it. So, and you have to let us know by tomorrow, because we are leaving, the trucks will be leaving tomorrow. <clears throat> so my mother, my father says, I think we should go over them. My father said, and my mother said, I cannot go away. I cannot leave my house. I cannot leave the bed. I cannot leave the home. The Russians came in here and the Russians are gone. The Germans will come and they will also be gone. This is the answer that we had. So we stayed. What happened when you stayed? What happened to your family? When they stayed? Yeah. What happened to your family when you stayed? Well, we stayed. Yeah, but what did you do during the day? After, after we said we stayed? Yeah. We, they opened the ghetto and we lost the house. And that's it. My father was dead. He was, he was finished. We had nothing left. We had one bag with whatever clothing we took from the house. The rest we left. The neighbor probably two minutes later was there looting and taking whatever she wanted and probably occupying the house too. How long did you stay in the ghetto for? We stayed in the ghetto probably one year. And what did you do during that time? Did you get a job? The ghetto was a very bad place. The ghetto was actually ruled by a Judenrat. You probably understand the Judenrat, a Jewish, the Jewish police and the Jewish committee, which ran the ghetto. We lived, which I found out today about it, I didn't know at that time. The Russians, the, the, the Germans, nobody worked. There were no jobs for Jews. So that means the Jews had to be fat. So the government supplied food for the Judenrat, for the people. They supplied about 500 calories per day. Now you cannot live on 500 calories, so you had to supplement. If you haven't got the money or the means to sell something outside of the ghetto, it was impossible to live. So they were just dying of hunger. Most of the time, I used to get up in the morning, there were dead bodies lying on the street. The ghetto was so packed that there was no room internally. So they lived in the open and they died. But you cannot live on 500 calories. They were eating poison ivy, which is edible. They were, but they were not guard. There were no gardens in the ghetto. You couldn't get out of it. It was barred. I used to get out. I used to sneak out with something that the mother used to give me, a pillow, a pot, a spoon, whatever, even anything that you had possibly was trying, I used to get out, sell it to some people for food, not for money, because the money was worthless. And I used to exchange it for a slice of bread, for a potato, and bring it back to them. How did you used to sneak out? Under the wire, at night time, I had friends. I had some friends that I knew. I had some people that, 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 that they were more or less friendly. There were some friendly people. Not everybody was so mean. Some of the people were very nice. I survived. I survived because of a friendly Christian farmer that kept me and gave me food and took care of me. 
not took care of me like you take care of a child, but took care of me to a point that, that I didn't starve totally. So I used to sneak out, bring some food in, whatever I could. I'm not talking about bringing in, bringing in chicken and steaks. I'm talking a slice of bread. I also did something because I come from a, from tailors and they did close, and my grandfather closed the store. He had leftover bottles, pieces of leather, and we took it, some of it. As a matter of fact, the, the ghetto was in the factory. And I used to go into that factory and find some little things from there. And I used to make armbands. Every Jew had to wear an armband with a star of David or a yellow star. In our area, they were only wearing armbands, white, white armbands with a, with a star of David. So I used to make those little as an artist artistic an art. I was not artist. As an artistic, I was to draw a nice sign of the, the, the Star of David. I used to put it in, in, a, in a frame, in a leather frame, and I used to sell it to the police and the union rod, because not for money, but for favors. They used to take it from me he says, you know, if you find, if there is some work to be done, you will be able to work. So they used to call me to, to go to work. Uh, the morning used to wake, I wake up uh, to shovel wheat because it used to get hot in the, in, the, in the places, to clean the street, to go to the police even, to, to uh, in the police station. We did some work cleaning, so the police, by lunchtime, they used to have leftovers like from, the, from the food, the bones, the peel, the peel from the potato. I used to bring it home, and we used to have the food. We used to have some food. So the favor that I, that I got from the Jewish Judenrat uh, helped me survive the time in the, in the ghetto. When did you leave the ghetto? I did not leave the ghetto. They liquidated the ghetto. They decided that there's going to be now a liquidation. The Germans decided that they don't want to have any Jews in the city. They were had many other, uh, a lot of, uh, not, not uh, what do they call them, uh, raids. They had many raids in, in, in between. They could any day make a raid, go into the to the ghetto, pill, pick up, let's say, a hundred Jews or fifty Jews, put them in the truck, and take them away. This is what what one one of the what this this raids was final raid. After that, they declared the city Juden free. That means Juden. No more, no more Jews. The city has no more Jews. So how did you survive? What, what happened What happened in this moment? It, it was a, like a big change in, in life. There was a big raid. 
they cut my father, my grand, my, my mother, my grandfather, which stayed with us in the ghetto, my sister, my grandfather was older, he had a beard, he was a little bit blind, not blind totally, but he didn't see very much. When we were we lived on the on the on the second story in a, in a an apartment building. He 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 tripped. He couldn't go down the steps. A Ukrainian police shot him with an explosive bullet, and he blew off his head. Me and my mother and my sister, we were brought downstairs. We were arrested. Six hundred people, and that last rate, which was supposed to be no more Jews, but they were still Jews from hiding. But the city was declared no Jews. That means anybody who went out was or shot or killed. The next day, I remember, they came into jail. They took up my mother, my sister, and me. They have, my mother said to me, you will not be able, be, this, is, this is the end. Whatever is going to happen tomorrow or any days when they take out us from the jail, you have to try to escape. I said, what do you mean by escape? From where, how? You will have to try. But I took it seriously, not seriously, as a child takes it, that the mother says something to it. It happened two days later, being in jail for at least two days without food. They brought us outside. The trucks were lined up, maybe 30 trucks in a circle. They were loading up everybody in the trucks. I was walking out with my mother. My mother says, you have to escape. I says, what do you mean I have to escape? Where am I going to go? You have to try to escape. If you don't, they're going to kill us and nobody will live from our family. You're the only one who there is a possibility that somebody could live. Please, she said, don't follow me. I have your sister with me. Don't follow me. You will follow me. You will not survive. They took us outside, I remember. It was, it was hell. The police was yelling. They were pushing us. They were pushing us on the trucks. I, I remember seeing, they picked up a little baby maybe two years old or two and a half years old. She couldn't run, she didn't know she fell. Two policemen picked her up by the feet and by the, by the arms. They swinged her and they threw her in the truck like a sack of potatoes or a sack of garbage. And I still follow my mother. She pushes me away from the, from the line. I still get up and follow. She pushes me away. Get away. What do you mean, get away? I want to be with you. I beg. You can go with me. Pushes me away. I fell. And I lost her. I got up. I remember. And I said, what does she want me to go where? I get up. And I go. And all of a sudden, I see myself out of the circle of the trucks. Out from the police surrounding me. And I am on a bridge, walking. And towards me is walking a German soldier. Actually, I think he was maybe an officer. And I pass him, I pass the officer. 
but curiosity or instinct makes me turn around. And I turn around and he also turns around. And our eyes meet. And he says to me, stop. I stop. Come here. I turn around. I go over to him. Where are you coming from? I says, I'm coming from the Stadtverwaltung. I'm coming from the city hall. Why are you, what are you doing in the city hall? I told him, my father is working there. And it's lunchtime. And I go and see them. How come you speak German? I go to school in the evening because my father speaks very well German. He takes out his gun, points it to my head, and he says, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. Are you Jewish? I says, no. He looks at me. The only thing that he had to do is, is lower your pants. He didn't say that. He puts in his gun and his holster. He turns around and walks away. And I walked through the bridge to freedom, and I was saved. What happened after that? What did you do? What happened after? Yeah. I had an auntie. My auntie, my auntie and uncle, they had a chocolate factory in Butchurch. I think this chocolate factory was maybe not only in Butchurch, maybe for a, a big area of, of my country. And I guess that the Germans and the Ukrainian elite also needed chocolate. So they delivered cocoa, they delivered sugar to him, they let them live in the factory, outside of the ghetto. So that means they had nothing to do with the ghetto, they were practically part of the population. So they stayed out, but they knew he knew the uncle that I, me, and my sister and mother, the uncle was married to my mother's sister, he knew that I was in, in jail. So, but he had so much connection with the, with the outside people that he went to the police station. And he says, I have my family here. Please have him. Could you try to release them? He says, no problem, Mr. Kissel, whatever you call them. No problem. But you have to replace them because I have a count of so many people and I have to give the Germans all those people. Those three people have to be replaced. You could go to the Jewish Judenrat and they will replace them. They will catch other three Jews they will replace me and release your family. And my uncle says he can't do it. And he didn't do it. He didn't catch any three Jews to replace me and he couldn't remove it. But the auntie knew that I'm in jail. So she came to the bridge, which is before the, 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 the jail, and waited to see what's going to happen with the 600 Jews that were cut. So she was between the people. When I crossed the bridge, she was there. She saw me. She took me in. She asked about the mother. I said, she, she, threw, she pushed me away. She says, you have to come with me. She took me with her to her home outside of the ghetto. And she made arrangements for me to go into hiding. 
and for herself. And that's how I got out of that situation. How old were you at this time? Uh, 1940, I think I was 11, 10 years old. 11, I was 11. So where did you go into hiding? So she made arrangements for me to go into hiding at a farm outside of the city of Bucha. As my uncle was very good friends with quite a bit of people, non-Jews, they had connection for themselves and they had connection for me. I didn't want to go in hiding for the, with a farmer that I don't know. I asked my auntie, why can't I go hiding with you? So she says, you can't go in hiding with me because if you go in hiding with me, the people that I am hiding don't want children. And I went to the farmer. And that's how I wound up at the farmer. Where did you hide when you were with the farmer? It wasn't easy. It wasn't hard to fight on the farm because there were, there were a barn, there was a stable, there was a, an attic at the, at the, at, on top of the, of the roof, the house. I don't know if you're familiar what a Lepianka is. A Lepianka is a house, a mud house, that a farmer builds himself. My farmer that I was involved with was a farmer without a farm. What does that mean? It means that he was never a farmer. He never had money. He was a person who hired himself out to help farmers farm their land at certain times of the year when the crop was growing or the crop is ready to be farmed. And he worked strictly to be able to support his family. He got, if he farmed on, on, on potatoes, he received a sack or two potatoes or three. When he farmed on corn, he received a sack of corn. If he farmed on, on, on oranges, and we didn't have oranges, but tomatoes, he got them, and he got his farm product for free. He never had any money, my farmer Yashko. I don't think ever in the year and a half that I stayed with him that he ever received a letter. I don't think he had any connection with outside his settlement. His settlement itself was consisting of five homes only. Five homes like my Yashko had. How did he have a home? Land there, you didn't buy land because the wilderness and the forest were there. The only thing what this man had to do is go into the forest, dig away the trees, make a hole in the ground, pour in water, make mud, take in straw, dump the straw in, the, in that mud, built a mud house, maybe 150 feet size that we're sitting here. He had one window, one door. He had a wife, Kasha, a very beautiful woman. He had two children living a very 
poor life as a farmer. He needed me, and he needed the auntie, but because the auntie made arrangement that he is going to keep me for, let's say, $100 per month. He needed that to survive himself. He kept me under this condition for about two months. He was, like I say, a farmer, and there was a very different, very big difference between a city man and a farmer. The city man had a jacket, no matter how it looked. He had shoes. He had an outfit, a city outfit. He had a shirt. The farmer didn't have a suit. He, he had, he made, he made himself the cloth. He made himself the cloth from jute. You know what jute is? Jute is a sack of potato, which you buy in a store today, which is in plastic. But they used to make it in from from jute, from a from a, a growing stack. They broke the stack. They made the thread out of it, and they took out the thread like you you pull out from a when you eat uh, uh, celery. You know, you have those long pieces. The truth grows with pieces like that. They break it and they talk of the skin. They take it and they wash it. And they be- it becomes very white, beautiful, hard cloth linen. It's not from a li- because linen also is from a, from a flower. It, it's not artificially made. So this is, jute is from a rougher flower. This is how he was dressed. A white shirt, nicely embroidered with white pants. This is the outfit of a farmer from the, from the local. And later on in life, I figured out when he was going to my auntie to receive the money for that, keeping me for the month. And one month, he went, they were hiding in a restaurant. He had connections. The restaurant built a bunker for them. It was, he was lucky because the food supply in a restaurant was easier and he was not so much detected on the street that he was feeding too many people because in the bunker where my auntie was hiding were six people. So one day when my farmer went to pick up his hundred dollars or his hundred zlota, the farmer tells him, I'm very sorry, but I cannot give you the money anymore. Your auntie was cut and she doesn't, they, she, they would kill her. The farmer leaves, he gave him the hundred dollars and he leaves. And he comes to me and he tells me, I'm very sorry to tell you, your auntie is dead. It was a very big shock because now I, my mother is gone, my father is gone, my, my sister, I don't know where she is, my auntie and uncle are gone, I am alone. I didn't believe it really that I'm alone, but they said he's dead, he's dead. But the farmer didn't, wasn't satisfied to tell my father, that the, the restaurant man who kept my auntie wasn't satisfied 
to tell. He went back to my auntie and he said to the auntie, you know, the farmer was just here and he came to tell me that your nephew is dead too. So in this, this situation that he created, he wiped out the farmer ever coming to him anymore because he was scared. How, how do, he, he is a city boy. How does a farmer in an outfit that he's, that he has from the country coming to an elegant restaurant for what? He, where does he get money? This is exactly how they were catching Jews, who catching Jews hidden by farmers. What happened? They followed in the city a farmer. If a farmer went in to a store to buy shoes, they followed him. Where is a farmer got a hundred dollars to pay for shoes? So he knew he's hiding somebody. They followed the farmer to his home and the police used to find the truth. And this is how they used to catch the hiding balance of the Jews from the city. Me, it was different. I had Yashko, I was a very happy guy. But this was the beginning when my auntie doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore and the money is not going to come in. Is he going to keep me? I don't know. He didn't say. So did he end up... It's a long story, huh? Yeah. Did he end up keeping you? Did the farmer end up letting you stay? Well, the farmer did. This little farmer, this poor soul, had a heart of... I want you to know, you're not talking about an old farmer. You're talking a farmer probably 23 years old or 27 years old. I don't know exactly. Kasha is probably about 23 or 4. They have two little children. They have nothing. It, it would be very easy for him to throw me out. But what happens? He didn't throw me out. He kept me. And I stayed in the barn. And I helped him with the farming. With the, with the, with the, he had two animals. He had a cow. And he had a horse. And he kept a pick. He used to buy a picklet, a small little picklet, on the market. He used to keep him for one year and feed him. He used to kill him at Christmas. This is the only meat he ever ate in his life. It's one time a year at Christmas time, they killed pig. The rest of the stuff, he had chicken, he had eggs, and he had a cow, and he had a horse. The chicken, he did never sell. He needed the eggs. The eggs he sold. He used to take him to the market eggs and used to sell them for kerosene to lit the lamp, for a match to, to make a fire, for what else he needed. Salt he couldn't find. For the minimum that he required on the farm, he used to sell it. He used to take off, he used to make butter. He used to take the milk from the cow, put it in, and they didn't have containers or metal containers. They had from clay made jars. He used to put in a clay jar, the milk. He used to take out 
the cream from the top. He used to store the cream. I used to make butter from the cream. I used to make, there was a, a big, tall, wooden container. I used to put a ladle and I used to beat the cream until it became butter. He used to sell the butter for the 10 items that he had. I used to take the horse and the cow for pasture because it's in the woods. The place was, I told you, was about five homes. I made sketches in my book for the, for the, 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 the area. They had a mill, one mill to make flour. This is another story. You'll have to read the book too. Eventually, but somewhere, somehow, I don't know how, they figured out that Yashko's helper, I was dressed like Yashko, in the same shirt, in the same pants, I looked like I would be his son. I remember when I came to him, he says to me, your name is not going to be Oziash. Your name is going to be Stashek. You are my sister's, my sister's son. Why are you here? If they ask you, you tell them that my sister was married to your father. Your father is a farmer. He went on the farm and he was blown up by a mine. So your sister was left with you alone. She had to bring you to me. Remember, he says, that story that I tell you. She was brought you to me because she is going to Germany to work because she cannot support herself. So she went to Germany and that's how you wound up on my uh, farm. Okay. I knew he called me Stashik and I was Stashik in the little, in the little settlement of five homes. But somebody from those five homes figured out that I'm not Stashik and he called the police. That was about three months, maybe four months after I came to her. One day, I'm sitting in the house. As a matter of fact, she had the two children. One was about two and a half, and the other one was about maybe, I don't know, eight months or something. I'm holding that two-year-old, playing with him. Kasia is cooking or whatever. Yashko went somewhere to the field. Yashko comes back, I remember, for lunch or dinner. He's sitting there and eating. Somebody's knocking on the door. Mr. Rudnitsky? Yes. Yes? Please come out. He comes out. Mr. Rudnitsky, we were advised and told that you are hiding Jews in your place. And Mr. Rudnitsky, it is no problem. A lot of places keep Jews. But if you tell us where he is or where they are, nothing is going to happen to you. We will just take him away from here and that's it. But if not, Mr. Rudnitsky, if you, find, if you say we, you don't have any and we're going to find some of them, we are going to kill them, we're going to kill you, we're going to kill your wife and we're going to kill you, two children. You better tell us the truth. I'm sitting in the house and I'm listening. 
And that's it. What is he going to say? The threat like that. He says, I'm not hiding any Jews. You could look. They went to the barn. They went to the, the, the stable. They went everywhere. They went in with bayonets. They shoved them bayonets in the ground. They moved in the table in the house. They didn't find me. I was sitting and holding the baby. I helped them to, to, to help them to look for me. <laughs> and they walked away. But what I did in that time was very, very tragic. My mother gave me documents, the pictures of the family, pictures of her. I used to take them out at night and watch and look at them. Pictures of my father, grandfather, documents for the house, documents in banks, papers, all kinds of papers, a package of papers. She gave it to me in jail when we were caught, me and the mother, and when she told me to run away. I had to hide it. I was afraid. They look it. I take it out and I go in and I put it in, in the stove. I open the door where she puts in the wood and I put it in, in the chimney inside, deep. We didn't have gas stoves and we didn't have that time electric stoves. They were all wooden stoves built with wood and I put it inside. They leave. The police left. Yashko comes in, he says, listen, he says, they could come back and the people from the, from this, from those five homes were all surrounded in the house. The people there will come. They could come back. Why didn't you go into the woods? And I went into the woods. When it got dark, I returned. When I returned, I saw the stove full blast and she's cooking supper. I run to the stove to take a look, the package of my pictures of the family. I haven't got a picture of my whole, nobody from the whole family. Everything was burned. I just got the marriage certificate of my father and mother just two weeks ago from the research of one of the, of, of the, they made a documentary on me here in Canada, Cheating Hitler. I don't know if you saw it, but it was, it was aired on, on History Channel. In this documentary, when they produced the documentary, they were looking for me in the areas to Buchach, how I was hiding, where my father and mother lived, where my, my family lived, my home. They put us all together and they made a documentary which was aired on History Channel. So they sent me, they tried to find out my background and they found a certificate of marriage from my father and mother, but no pictures. They didn't take pictures. They just signed a piece of paper. So that's all. I have it framed upstairs. That's the only, and the second I have the candelabra for my house. I'll tell you the story after I'll tell you the other one. So what happened? Join me next time for the second part of this amazing story. If you like this episode, please like and subscribe and tell your friends. This is Eliane Goldstein. Tune in next time to The Effect on Us. And remember, history will not repeat itself. Bye.